Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Guys, I'm thrilled to say this. Welcome to my basement. I am here. I am in the state of New York. I'm in my real basement. My children's backpacks are hung up just beyond that door. Last time I saw you, I was in a weird, weird sort of pseudo sleazy hotel room in Las Vegas. Sleazy just by the decor and the sort of aura and smell. No, back in suburbia here in New York and so much to talk about at Super Bowl week. We're gonna try to find a way to talk about Patrick Mahomes. And by try to find a way, I mean it's just, there's been so much Mahomes talk, sometimes people are over it. I'm not, we're gonna recognize this. We're gonna talk about the Eagles defense, which I think is the key to the entire Super Bowl. Got all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about Trent Dilfer, our old buddy, speaking of Super Bowls, had a nuclear take on the state of quarterbacks in the league. We have your calls, your calls. You called for Say Anything, left us all kinds of messages. We picked our favorite ones. We're going to reply to them. Also, how about this? See this balloon? This balloon has been in the basement. It's for my son's birthday party. It still floats. My son's birthday party was on December 3rd. <laughs> this thing is over two months old and it still floats. Maybe that's why I paid $27 for one stupid balloon. Helium. A powerful, powerful deal. Guys, that's it. We're gonna start this thing with what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. How great is this balloon? I'm bringing it with me, come on. I had this kind of scary thing when I was holding up the balloon to show how long it's been up that it was gonna hit the lights and pop right in front of me. That would have been really tragic, but funny. Maybe next time. All right, uh, you know what I love? I love that Patrick Mahomes is back here in the Super Bowl. That is the third time. And I also love how the reaction is to him being back in terms of the national conversation, in terms of the media, in terms of social media. When you're listening to this, when you're watching right now in the basement and you hear me start the show saying, I wanna talk about Patrick Mahomes. How does that make you feel? Are you like, yeah, hell yeah, Mahomes is amazing. He's great, let's talk Mahomes. Or are you like, ugh, I get it. Nothing negative against him at all. He has it all going on. He's fantastic on the field and off. It's just a lot. It is a lot of Mahomes in the last half decade of our lives. But that's the way sports work, my friends. It's a meritocracy. You win, you get talked about, you get hyped, you get congratulated, and what he does is win. So what I wanna do right now is I just wanna take a hot second to say, oh my God, Patrick Mahomes, you're incredible and we bend the knee to you as you go into yet another Super Bowl in your very young career. I wanna take a minute to just reestablish for ourselves, for the audience, for the world at large, what he is doing. It is not insignificant, it is not average, it is not decent, it is not good, it is not great. It is unprecedented in the history of this sport that we all love. Just the facts here, just the facts. Patrick Mahomes became the youngest quarterback to win Super Bowl MVP, did that. Youngest quarterback to start two Super Bowls, did that. Will become the youngest this Sunday to start three Super Bowls, passing Tom Brady who seemed to do it in impossible fashion back in the day. Patrick Mahomes could become the fifth quarterback with two MVPs and two titles. He's going to win league MVP, I believe. If he wins the Super Bowl, he'll become the fifth following Bart Starr, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes already passed Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger as youngest quarterback to 10 playoff wins. Through 80 starts, Patrick Mahomes has the most wins, passing yards, touchdown passes, highest passer rating. We could do this all day. That's the things that Patrick Mahomes is doing. And you notice in a lot of those things, you say, passing Brady, younger than Brady. Brady is not supposed to be passed. No one's supposed to be younger than Brady. No one's supposed to be older than Brady. Patrick Mahomes is at least the younger and the better and the faster. That's pretty incredible. My favorite Patrick Mahomes stat is he is still at this point in his career, despite all these playoff games, all these playoff wins, all these Super Bowl appearances, has never played a road playoff game. Never. He has never had to go to Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Buffalo or New England. Never. The only times he leaves home to play a playoff game is when he goes to the Super Bowl. It's incredible. It's an amazing, stupid stat. And that's because of how great he is. And here's the deal. If he wins this one, then it ushers in a whole new conversation. Then you're going to hear the D word, dynasty. You're going to hear he's on the trajectory to be the greatest ever. It's, it, it's a whole thing now. Mahomes faces the league. He took some time to allow Josh and allow Burrow to climb up and there's all these other guys, but it's Mahomes. It's Mahomes league now. 
The other part of the conversation, and I think the slightly more interesting part, is what if the Chiefs lose this game? I think they are going to lose this game. I've said it for nine days now. I think they're gonna lose 31-20 to the Eagles. Then where do we go? Then Mahomes is one for three in Super Bowls. Then they've lost two in a row. Then they're like, wow, he's incredible, but how do we catalog this in history? What do we do with this? Is this a dynasty? Is he the greatest ever? It gets very complicated and very dicey. And then we usher in this thing about, wow, Jalen Hurts, the Super Bowl MVP, is he the next greatest thing? Because he's young. He has not played as much football as Mahomes, and maybe the trajectory for him is turning up. I don't know. It's a much more interesting, dicey, messy conversation if the Chiefs lose this Super Bowl. If they win, oh my God, they host the title game every year. Most years they go to the Super Bowl. Sometimes they win it, two rings. Here's the thing. If you're a parent right now, and you got uh, a little kid or a teenage kid or whatever the hell it may be, Patrick Mahomes is going to be their standard. Patrick Mahomes is going to be their guy. You're going to have debates with your children when you're older where you're gonna say Brady's the greatest. They're gonna say, no, Patrick Mahomes is. He did this, 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 and this. I grew up watching Patrick Mahomes. It's gonna be similar now, depending on your age, to Tom Brady will be our Michael Jordan and Patrick Mahomes will be the kid's LeBron. That they're gonna say, when we say Brady's the greatest, Brady's the most dominant, Brady's the most decorated, they're gonna say, you sound old, you sound out of date, it's Mahomes this and Mahomes that. And listen, Mahomes has a long way to go, but believe me, you hear what I just said? He'll become the, he's already going to become the youngest to start three Super Bowls this Sunday. That's done. Tom Brady, bam, against the Rams. Bam, against the Panthers. Bang, bang, Eagles. He was in the Super Bowl, three Super Bowls, right to start his career. Patrick Mahomes younger than him, which means he has more time. He's, he's doing Brady things better than Brady did Brady things. See what I'm saying? It's setting up to be the guy. We just got done with Brady's retirement, we think, and already we're onto this thing where, wow, if Mahomes gets another Super Bowl, he's got two rings and three appearances at this age, He's kind of almost ahead of the Brady pace. And I think we can all agree he's, he's more talented than Brady physically. So who the hell knows where he can go? It's just an awesome thing. And if he loses this one, whatever. The odds say he'll probably be back next year. So then he's in the fourth one trying to get his second. But then it's like if he keeps losing the Super Bowls, it becomes like LeBron. Like young LeBron would get to the finals all the time, but he would often lose. Like he would get swept by the Duncan Spurs. Can't have that. Gotta cash some of these in especially in the AFC the way it is now. But I, listen, we're fooling ourselves. We like to say there's all these great quarterbacks in the AFC, Lamar and Allen and, and Herbert and where I thought this, this guy and that guy. It's Mahomes. He hosts the title game every single year. He's above the rest of them. That's just fair. He wins more. He wins more playoff games than they do. It's Mahomes and then it's the rest of them. It's not this giant big pot of AFC quarterbacks. There is a big pot of them. Mahomes isn't in it. He's above it. He's going to start the Super Bowl again this Sunday. Maybe he wins. If he does, cruise control. It's his league now. Maybe his league anyway. I just think it's, we get a lot of Mahomes fatigue. And when I say we, I mean, I mean me. What else do you want to say? Unbelievably talented. He's the star for this generation. He plays a little different. He looks a little different. He talks a little different. Everything about it is a little fresh and exciting and rejuvenating. And it just is now we've done five years of this and people are like, we get it. A lot of commercials with the State Farm guy. They're kind of cringy, but uh, we see him every single break. He wins the playoff games. He never loses. He does the sideways passes. We get it. I understand that fatigue. Let this overdo the fatigue. Let this trump that fatigue, his greatness. Fight through the fatigue is what I'm saying. And if he wins it this weekend, and he might, and there's, a, there's another parade in Kansas City, and Mahomes gives the speech and says this sort of kind of mild, a little bit tepid comment that's not going to be that edgy, that's it. Sorry, he wins. He deserves every amount of respect, every amount of congratulations, all the adulation about the future is bright, Mahomes this and Mahomes that, and I will be giving it to him myself. Because the guy does things the right way. He doesn't disrespect people. He doesn't cheat people. He hasn't had his gate controversy yet. Maybe he never will. All he does is win. Win, win, win. Most exciting thing ever? I don't know. No, probably. Be fun if different teams hosted the title game every once in a while. But he's so good, he does it every single year, and we will respect that. And if he wins, you better believe we will respect that. We will respect it probably for the next decade. Your kids are going to be Mahomes fans. I don't care what town you live in. My kid's nine years old. He tells me that Mahomes is the best one. He doesn't want to hear anything different. It's coming. Big game this weekend. But the Eagles defense is going to have something to say about that. And that brings us to what I hate.
So I hate the way the Eagles defense is being talked about because it's all over the place. And if you take the, more, the four main groups, Chiefs offense, Chiefs defense, Eagles offense, Eagles defense, I think the Eagles defense is the most interesting one of the four going into this game. And I think it's the one that's going to decide the game. I think pretty much we know what we're going to get from the other three. I do. I think the enigma is on the, the Eagles defense. So let's peel this back because I have a few things to say about this. First of all, Brandon Ayuk, Niners receiver, first round draft pick. We saw how the Niners season ended. It was very bizarre, very sloppy. They got all their quarterbacks knocked out of the game. He goes on the uh, SF Niners YouTube channel. He's sitting there doing an interview with this big Niners fan. And he had this to say about the Philadelphia Eagles defense who knocked them out and we'll be seeing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Well, I don't know um, fully about that defense. Um, I don't know. I, they talk about him being a good defense. I'm not too sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, I think the pass game, um, this Kansas City pass game will uh, expose what we thought we were going to be able to expose um, before some unfortunate circumstances happen. So we'll see. We'll see. But like I said, you got to get lucky to win the Super Bowl. Um, and they just got oh, yeah. extremely lucky last week. So who's to say they can't do it twice? So like I said, I'm not going to speak too much on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say too much about it other than I'm not sure about that defense. We'll see. They're going to be exposed and they got lucky. But other than that, I'm not going to speak too much on it. Brandon, I think uh, <laughs> that the, the card has left the barn, whatever the expression is. So, again, let's do the rundown there. Just lost to the Eagles, granted, in a very, very strange way. One of the strangest football games I've ever seen, which the Niners never had a shot because all their quarterbacks were just thrown off a cliff. He says, I'm not sure about that defense. We'll see about that Eagles defense. I think they will be exposed by the Chiefs Eagles defense, and they got extremely lucky Eagles defense. All right, so maybe he's a little emotional, or maybe he's just fit telling the truth. Well, he's not the only one. Our guy Slay, Darius Slay, the defensive back for the Eagles, who just goes by Slay and who I love, he went on his own Big Slay, Big Play Slay podcast. Big Play Slay podcast uh, on the volume. And he talked about how his defense, of course, he's part of this defense, the Eagles defense, was so motivated to play the Niners for a particular reason. And it's because, again, something one of the Niners said. Go ahead, Slay. What triggered us as a team and as a defense. You know, I got a lot of respect for George Kittle. I got a lot of respect. I think he's one of the best tight ends in the league. He does all the dirty work. Right. He does the blocking, man. You can see he having a lot of fun out there, man. Uh, I always like to watch his game, man, because he played his game the right way. But, but when he said that we look good on paper in the football world, we know how to take that. As a defense, well, us being one of the best defenses in the league as well, we took that as kind of disrespect, you know, because we didn't say they look good on paper. We said they're a great defense. They're a great team. You know, we try to show our respect, as which is respect is due. But him saying that triggered a lot of guys in the locker room, including myself, you know, even though I still had a lot of respect for the guy. But it triggered us to go out here and play a lot harder to show who's physical. So now, as you've seen the game was going on, you see who's been the most physical team. I keep seeing this stuff across the media saying, Oh, if this guy would have been playing, that guy would have been playing. They was playing. We just took them out. You know, they got one of the best defenses for sure, man. I got a lot of respect for them, but that pushed our button. And, you know, and we had to answer that. And, you know, we had to show who was the best team in the NFC. All right, so Ayuk says that uh, they'll be exposed against the Chiefs. Slay says, we did not like it that Kittle said we were good on paper, and that really made us mad. The Kittle thing is, 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 I honestly really believe nothing. I think he probably flippantly used that phrase, not even flippantly, casually, passively, to just say that, oh, you know, look, on paper, you can't really beat them. They're amazing, amazing group of talent on paper. I don't think that George Kittle was saying, they're just a bunch of talented guys on paper who can't really play or aren't tough. Kittle doesn't disrespect people. He loves being goofy. He's like super friendly. He loves the guys, he loves the league, he loves the opponents. Like, that's not his game in any way. But that doesn't matter. The Eagles are that team who look for anything and take anything and run with it. They love this. I think it's part of the city. I think it's part of Sirianni. I think it's part of the guys 
the veterans on that team, like the Kelseys and the Lane Johnsons, who love that, like, just tried and true, beaten to a pulp, chip on the shoulder storyline that we talk about every week in every sport. They love that thing. They don't think it's corny. They're not over it. And so Slay says, someone in the locker room says, oh, Kittle says we're good in paper. Did you hear him say it? Did you really look at it? Or did you see some release where it was written down? It's ironic. They saw his quote on paper about saying that they were good on paper. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. That's how they play. And so let me further this. I was thinking about this this morning, and there's this... There is a sense out there, I've seen it just online, just everything from analysts to just friends you talk to about, I don't know if the Eagles defense is ready for Mahomes. That he's different, that they haven't seen him, that they've been going through these NFC playoffs and the AFC is a different deal and they have not played him all year and that he is gonna light them up and the Eagles D is not gonna know what hit him. Let's take a journey, come on this journey with me. This is the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the quarterbacks from now, most recently to the last few quarterbacks that they've played going back a ways. You tell me when you're intimidated or when you think they've really been tested. We mentioned the NFC title game, the combination of Brock Purdy for five seconds, Josh Johnson for another five seconds, and then McCaffrey playing quarterback. Before that, Daniel Jones. The game before that, Daniel Jones. The game before that, Andy Dalton. Then Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott put up 40 points and the Cowboys beat the Eagles. Before that, Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Ryan Tannehill, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers put up 33 points and Philly won 40 to 33. So now what we have here is two straight months in which they have played two, I would say, above average quarterbacks. One of them put up 33 and one of them put up 40. Does that concern you? Pretty compelling on paper, isn't it? That they have had a very easy walk. I got a buddy of mine named Aaron, guy I've been friends with for years, born and raised in Philly, massive Eagles fan, going across the country to go to the Super Bowl. He's like, are you gonna talk about how we've had the easiest walk to the Super Bowl ever of any team in history? I'm like, you really think so? Wasn't everybody doing backflips about Daniel Jones after the wild card round? They go through Daniel Jones, a team that they had already beaten twice in the last two months. It was the third time they played them in the last couple of months. Smacked them, the game was over at halftime. And then the Niners game was over even faster than that because Hassan Reddick comes off the edge, knocks out the quarterback, and ends their season. Has anybody ever had two easier playoff wins? I don't think so. I really don't. I can't think one. Listen, I remember the 85 Bears, and they just plowed through everybody. Maybe them. Maybe somebody else that just slipped through the cracks in the 80s or 90s or back to the 70s. But it has been really easy. But I take it further than that for the defense. It goes back further than the two playoff games. I just ran it down. They basically have played Andy Jones and Andy Andy Jones, Andy Dalton and Daniel Jones for the last couple of months with an occasional Dak Prescott, if that scares you, and then Justin Fields and people like that. They don't have the schedule where it's like, man, we had to go and we had to face this guy and that guy and we had to face the athletic one. And we faced uh, Herbert and we we faced Brady and we faced no, not really. We faced Burrow. We faced Lamar. They've been not in the big time for the last couple of months. They've been in the shallow end of the pool. I think they're going to win the game 31 to 20. So if them hearing that they haven't played a bunch of good quarterbacks and they're playing the junior varsity when the AFC is the varsity and they're going to get woken up because one of the varsity guys is going to come down and smack around the JV guy, hear that. Run with that. That's being talked about. Do something about it. What do we just go through? You're gonna get exposed, you're good on paper, and you haven't played any good quarterbacks. I hate that's the way it's being talked about, but I'm just gonna jump on in because I want the Eagles to win because I picked them and I think they will. Slay, I love you. Not Darius Slay, Slay. You haven't played a bunch of good quarterbacks. The only two guys you played put up a whole bunch of points on you. Do something about it and don't let Mahomes get 60. Somebody tell Slay that. I can put on the Big Play Slay podcast on the volume. Let's get to what's hilarious. Speaking of good quarterbacks. Going through my morning this today, this morning, going through my work day, and uh, I don't know what you were doing, but I would think it was about 9.45 a.m. Eastern, and uh, I'm just doing the thing. I'm uh, scanning through my phone, and I flip, and I feel like, oh my God, <laughs> what the hell is Tom Brady doing? Bring up the picture. I stopped, like I hit the brakes, the screeching brakes on the highway when you're scrolling through the, the profile, and you see that. Oh my God, Tom. Close your legs up. What the hell am I looking at? 
I see a picture of Tom Brady sitting on a bed wearing nothing but briefs in front of this beautiful ocean view, holding up his phone, taking a picture in the mirror with his hand like over his under nether region. You go, the, here's the things that flash through your head when you see this picture. Um, was he hacked? Like, you know, this reminds me of the pictures within there was a there been a few high profile things where all these celebrities like sexting pictures get released. I'm like, oh man, somebody hacked Brady's phone and like they found that picture that he sent to someone and they put it on Twitter. Wait a second, it's from his own profile. Why would he tweet that picture? Did his profile also get hacked? And then I looked at it, I'm like, hold on, hold on. Is that really even Tom Brady? He looks different, his hair looks really dark and also the fact that he's tweeting a picture where he's 90% naked, why would he do that? What is he doing? I'm running through all of these questions. And then I'm like, all right, so that is real. Did I do it right, he says. And then he, he ets his boys, Edelman and Gronk and the Brady brand. And I just looking at the picture, I'm like, Tom, is this what the new life is gonna be like? Is this phase two? Is this more of a retirement thing or more I'm single thing? Or both? Because if I was retired and single, I'd probably walk around my house a lot in my underwear by itself as well. I wouldn't take pictures of it in the mirror like a gym bro and put it online. I was just so confused. Like, Tom, you just retired 10 seconds ago. Can we wait until you jar us with the fully nude picture in your hand over your, your junk? What is this? So there's a story to it. Like, get this, get this picture out of here. The story to it, it goes back to June 9th, all the way back last summer. June 9th, give me the tweets. Let's go through this. That, that was a jarring. I don't want to see that of Brady. I don't know. I know he's trying to sell some stuff. I'll tell the story. So Brady Brand releases this tweet with uh, underwear models with a six pack and all that in their underwear. A couple of dudes. Brady retweets it and says, 40,000 likes and I'll recreate these photos. Blah, 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 blah. So he said that, that was back in June. Or back in June 9th, the original tweet came out. Then he comes out and says, 40,000 likes and I'll recreate the photos. Apparently it got 40,000 likes because then the Brady brand comes back and says, we haven't forgotten about this, ha ha ha. So I guess he did it. You know, those things where you say this many likes and I'll do this, they usually come back to haunt you. 40,000 likes for someone of Tom Brady's stature is not much, which tells me he wanted to do it. He wanted to pose in his underwear. He wanted to sell the underwear. I mean, I guess he looks really great if you're single and you're looking for somebody, if you're trying to sell underwear. The ironic part was he's trying to sell underwear and he used his giant hands to cover up half the underwear. What if I was an interested party, Tom, and I wanted to buy those briefs? I can't even A, see them, B, I feel a little uncomfortable looking at that part of your body as you sit there with your legs spread. I'd rather just look at the models who I don't know and don't have any attachment to, and I didn't play NCAA football on PlayStation 1 in 1997 with them, and I didn't watch them beat the Jake DeLone Panthers in the Super Bowl when I was in my 20s, and I haven't grown through my adult life with them. It's just a model, it's just a piece of meat. I don't, speaking of meat, I don't wanna look at you, Tom. I'm uncomfortable looking in your pelvic area. I am. It doesn't make me want to buy the underwear. And even if I did, you obscured most of the product. So what was the point of this? If you're going to show off the underwear, stand up, go out on the beach and show off the underwear. All right? And then later in the day, he goes on Colin Coward and says, I'm not going to do broadcasting until next year. What a day. Is this what Tom Brady's going to be like? Like Mr. Content? He's going to do the podcast and do the... The, the picture and his grape smugglers, and then he's gonna go on the radio and say, no, I'm not doing media until next year. Also, is he gonna be at the Super Bowl? Like, are they gonna be part of the Fox broadcast? I would probably think, given the money they're gonna pay him, you'd probably wanna usher him out, considering they won't have a Fox Super Bowl for years. I don't know, all these things we think about. I heard the underwear is very expensive too. I don't own any of it. I don't. I don't wear, I, don't wear, I haven't worn briefs since I was like, uh, making my first communion when I was like seven years old. I, I'm a boxer brief guy. But strange day in the life of Tom Brady. And if this is what we're in store for, you know, everyone said, oh, Brady, when he goes to Tampa, he's different. He lets his hair down. He's fun. He's engaging. That's all great. I don't want more of those pictures. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to see Tom Brady like that. Sell your underwear. At least let us know if one of those is coming. It's a lot. It's a lot to look at, Tom. I'm used to seeing you in the uniform and everything. I guess it's hilarious, but it was more bizarre. I'm still cringing from it. Um, what's next? It's time for, oh, we're going to hear from you. How do you segue from Tom Brady's briefs? We go to the Kyle Brandt's basement answering machine in a little segment that we call Say Anything. Hey, you know what I love? 
Omaha Steaks. Yeah, baby. This Valentine's Day, fall in love with flavor when you save on delectable dishes and tantalizing tastes from Omaha Steaks with their Love at First Bite sale. It's the perfect time to celebrate your better half and bring the steakhouse experience home for Valentine's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code BASEMENT at checkout and get $30 off your order. That's $30 off an endless variety of delicious gourmet foods, from perfectly aged tender steaks to juicy burgers, decadent desserts, and classic comfort meals. Every bite is guaranteed to be perfect and is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com, use promo code BASEMENT at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. All right, there's me, and I'm holding up a giant phone, and I got a trench coat, and I got this, like, cool, I believe this is a Fiero car. Fiero, who don't really, they're not really around anymore. They were in the 80s. They, I think their whole business model is, let's come up with a name that sounds a little bit like Ferrari and Camaro, so Fiero, <laughs> and a vanity license plate that says Kyle. Pretty cool. But what's even cooler is we have an old-fashioned answering machine here in the basement. It's right over there, and it's got the tapes in it and everything. And if you call the number, 252-4-BRANTS, 252-4-BRANTS, you can call morning, noon, and night, any day of the week, unload your stories, your, your inner demons, your thoughts, your takes, anything. But occasionally, we'll put you in a direction, and we'll do some sort of specific topic. Say anything is just say anything. The only corralling we did today was say anything about the Super Bowl. We've done say anything, holiday edition, all kinds of stuff say anything about the Super Bowl. It could be a take, it could be a score prediction, it could be something completely tangential about the dumb commercials. It could be about Rihanna. We don't know. It's called Say Anything. We have three calls, and as always, I have never heard these. I don't know who they're from until I look down at this list. I have not screened them, I have not heard them, I will hear them raw with you. First call, oh, well, this is a little different. Uh, E-Rock is a, an iconic luminary of the Philadelphia Eagles fan base. I've met this gentleman. I think I've had beers with him before. I've known him for a long time. And he's a guy. Like, people in the Eagles circles know E-Rock. He's the man. Let's, I have no idea what he's going to call about. But to the first uh, message on the uh, Say Anything segment, E-Rock, the Eagles fan, what's he got? Yo, what is up, Kyle? It's E-Rock. And hey, I'm super excited about the Super Bowl and the opportunity to birds to win their second Lombardi trophy. But, but I'm in a weird position, because you know how this Eagles fan base likes to be. They like to sink their teeth into the opposing fan base. You know, when it was the Patriots and Tom Brady, we hated on them. The 49ers coming to the NFC Championship game, they said what they said before the game, we hated on them. We hated on the Giants fans. The Kansas City fans, I, 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 I'm just having trouble building up some sort of animosity towards them. They seem so nice. You know what I mean? I just want to like crack a beer with them, shake their hand, and talk about barbecue recipes. Yeah. Is that weird? Me as an Eagles fan, I'm trying to like go after them, and I, and I just, I, 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 I can't. It's strange. Iraq, I totally feel you. First of all, that is the man. I don't know if he still does it. He used to go in the parking lots before Eagles games outside the link, dressed up in a Pope's hat, like a giant thing in a whole outfit, and he I think he, the idea was he would like baptize people with beers or something. I think he's matured a little bit and more, maybe more sophisticated, but I live E-Rock, because it's a sophisticated question. He's like, we're, I'm gonna go to Arizona, me and my guys or my crew or whatever, and I wanna tell the opposing fan base that they suck and we're gonna kill them, and it's really fun to do that. How am I supposed to do it with these Chiefs fans? They're, they're Midwestern people from Missouri and Kansas, and they love barbecue, and they have this team who, I mean, everybody likes Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes is very difficult to dislike. Kelsey is really cool and just unbelievably talented and good. What am I sinking my teeth into here? What can I do? We don't have the Bengals. We can't do the Eli Apple thing, or we can't try to make fun of Burrow's clothes. Like, we can't say that the Kansas City or the Cincinnati chili socks. Like, Kansas City's food is amazing. Their team's amazing, their coach is amazing, and even their, like, celebrity fan base. Like, Paul Rudd is, is he, he's the man. You're gonna make fun of him? You're gonna make fun of Ant-Man? I'll probably make tons of money. Um, Eric Stone Street, Modern Family. Melissa Etheridge is an incredibly cool lady. I'm just going through the celebrity Chiefs fans. 
I don't know what to tell you. I don't. Because remember a while everyone thought it was going to be Eagles, Bills, and it'd be Philly, Buffalo, these two maniacal fan bases. I think the problem is, here's the thing, Iraq, is that you guys, as you know, Philly, you're an easy target and take a lot of heat. So I would say, just wait for them to insult you and that will give you license to tear them apart. I don't know if they're going to insult you. Every Chiefs fan I've ever met is like a good person. It's, you may be, you may be in trouble. You, I, I hate to put this out of you, right? You may just need to just get along. You get all, all that like insulting the fan base and telling them their cities for losers or whatever you guys do. That's kind of for the playoffs and the regular season. You got that out of your system. They got very bitter against San Francisco, right? Then before that, you had the Giants, obviously. Now that's that's for the buildup. That's the undercard. The main event is one of respect. And I think you've having been there before. Listen, the problem is the last time you're in the Super Bowl is the Patriots and they're an easy target as well. Just enjoy this one. And you know what? If you want to have some ribs, have some ribs. They're nice people, nice celebrities, nice coach. And I think you're going to beat them. Iraq, I love the call. I hope I see you in Arizona. I don't have any better advice for you. I totally feel you. They're kind of impenetrable because they're so nice and congenial. So um, wait for them. Wait for one of them to be a jerk or just enjoy it. Next call. Bob. Oh, no, wait. Hold on. I messed up. Peyton. Peyton's called before. Peyton likes to blow up the uh, Kyle Brandt's basement answering machine. And Peyton always has some thoughts. So let's go. He's from Minnesota. Peyton, what do you got this time on Say Anything? Hey, Kyle. This is Peyton from Minnesota. A couple days ago, I saw that Carl Sheffers, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, is going to be the lead Super Bowl ref. And that annoys me. Uh, not because he's a bad ref. I don't know. He's a great ref by any means. But a couple months back, on the Thursday night football game, Bucks versus Ravens, uh, there was a penalty call. And, you know, he's making the call, holding on the offense, replay third down. And when he puts up his hand to signal third down, he does it in the most psychotic way possible. He holds up his pinky, his middle finger, and his pointer finger, just like an absolute maniac. I don't know what he was. It's just been haunting me for a while. It's popped up a couple times on Red Zone when I've been watching it. Shout out Scott Hansen. Um, I don't know yeah. why nobody else is talking about this. Maybe I'm not on the right side of Twitter or sports media, right. but I just, I don't know how we can trust this guy's judgment when he's doing stuff like that on the field. All right. It's a great call. Great call. So here's the deal. Carl Sheffers is going to be the referee, the head official for the Super Bowl. And I thought that Peyton was going to go the route of saying that Carl Sheffers has, he calls a lot of penalties. If you just look at his stats per game, he and his crew throw a lot of flags and no one wants that. But the call took a massively different approach, which I am really entertained by. He said, follow this and let's recap. He said that when Carl Sheffers signals for third down, like, Holding penalty, replay third down or whatever. This is so funny. He said, he goes, pinky, middle finger, and pointer to signal three. No one in the world does that. No one. And what's so funny is I'm like, no way, Peyton. No one does that. I went to Google and I Googled Carl Sheffer's third down. There's a picture of him doing it. Proud as hell, up there like that. It's like it's like a hand signal that Vanilla Ice would do back at the American Music Awards in 1991. I even have a little painting of it. Look at Vanilla Ice's hand right here. It's like he's awakening a Carl Sheffer's sleeper cell back in the day. Who does that? Here's your options. All right, first of all, three. If you're putting up three, like, um, you're getting a hot dog at a, at a, a ballpark and they say, ah, how many? And it's loud that you go the standard three index, middle and ring. That is the American classic. You can do it like that. If you want, you can do it like this. All right. Or if you're like, you're kind of cool or something like that, you could trick it out like this pinky ring middle. And you could do that. That works. There's a whole conversation in Inglorious bastards about how they do it. And, Germany versus English, and I, and I think it's like that. But that that well, now we're down a weird foreign World War II Tarantino wormhole. 
we're still talking about 2023 and I have the picture to prove it. I'm looking at it. There's actually multiple pictures. Google right now, Carl Sheffer's third down. This guy has his ring finger tucked. Inexplicable, unacceptable. I don't want to look at that. If you signal for three without your ring finger extended, you don't have one. You lost your ring finger in some sort of accident or something. And you're like, look, this is what I got. I'm sorry. Uh, my hand is deformed, but this is how I can signal three because I put up the remaining soldiers here who are standing. There is absolutely no reason why you would ever tuck this finger. Why does he do that? And I notice he has like kind of a whistle wrapped around his hand. So gosh, maybe that plays some role in it. But every other referee says third down, right? Do they do that? You, if anything, I would go with the index middle thumb. You go three in a row. You don't skip a finger. Right now, as you're watching or listening, you're probably doing it already. Look down at your hand, tuck only your ring finger, hold up what is left, you're holding your ring finger with your thumb, and try to tell me that's how any rational human being in 2023 signals the number three for a third down. Bizarre. So strange. Here's the thing. That's all I'm going to be looking for in the Super Bowl now. All I want is for some Carl Sheffers to say, still third down, replay third down. That is so strange. I can't get over it. I'm looking at these pictures of him like it's some sort of pornography or something. It's like, I what? This The human body can do this? Yes. Carl, what are we doing here? Wow. And look at the pictures of, if you click on some of the pictures of him doing it, the write-up below or the caption, it just talks about whatever, Carl Cheffers, referees. It doesn't say, Carl Cheffers does inexplicable hand gesture to single the, an old number, number three. I don't understand how that's okay. God, Peyton, that is a great call. Great call. We need to investigate this. <laughs> the competition committee needs to explain why Carl Cheffers does that. Carl Sheffers, I keep messing his name up. And also, we got all these officiating experts in the crew all the time, and they're constantly talking in CBS, NBC. Never mind was the second foot in, or do you call this holding? Can someone explain to me why the head referee would ever signal three like this? If your child were to say, I'd say, hey, how old are you? And they went like that, you'd be like, no, 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 no. Put that down, honey. No, you put this one up. You do it like this. You would correct them. Mr. and Mrs. Sheffers back in the day apparently never did. That's so strange. I mean, <laughs> how does he do four? Here, here, I'm four. There's my four. I put the, I put the index, the middle finger down. That's four. Oh, hey, um, let's say Carl Sheffers wants to order two beers. They say, how many, Carl? And he goes, two. <laughs> two. <laughs> no, that's hang loose. Two. Oh, I'm sorry. I do it like that. That's give me two beers. <laughs> that is the strangest thing ever. It's all I'm going to think about. Never mind Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, any of that. Carl Sheffers. <laughs> Third down. That is so awesome. All right, we have to do another call. I don't want to ever do another show after that. I just want to do a podcast on Omaha Productions called Carl Cheffer's Third Down with Kyle Brandt. We'll just talk about that the whole time. Um, we got to go to Los Gatos, California, though. The Cats, California, where Bob. Bob, I'm going to guess Bob is a, uh, a man who is between the ages, he's a little older, between 50 and 70 years old. A lot of, a lot of guys named Bob in that demo. Let's see, Bob in Los Gatos, what do you got? Hey, KB, it's uh, Bob in Los Gatos. Um, I know you've lived all over the place, you know, grew up in the Midwest, uh, yeah. out, lived out in California, live on the East Coast now. Um, so you've seen the Super Bowl in all the time zones. So my question is, uh, what's the best time zone to watch the Super Bowl in? Um, because I'm a West Coast guy, so I've always had the 3.30 p.m. like kickoff. And, uh, but I know, you know, like when I went to college, we had a the guy, I went to college out in California, we had a guy out from the East Coast, from Boston, you know, like Massachusetts. And that year when the Super Bowl kicked off at like 3.30 and the daylight was still out, he started freaking out and, you know, we had to like subdue him. He was throwing beer cans everywhere. He was like a bat that got like let loose in the middle of the day. So, uh, what's your opinion? What's the best time to, uh, time zone to watch the Super Bowl in? Thanks, KB. Thanks, Bob. That was, uh, in case you just tuned in, that was caller number three. Number three on the uh, Say Anything segment. Also, sorry I insulted you by saying you were old, Bob. You sound like a younger guy. Um, all right, the answer to the question is it's definitely Pacific time zone. Definitely. It, the earlier, the better. I spent 15 years in LA. 
And I'll, before we even get to the Super Bowl, watching football in the Pacific time zone is the best. Because you wake up on Sunday morning and kickoff is at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. is the early games. One o'clock late games. And then you get a 4.30 to five o'clock Sunday night football. You don't have to wait. You can get it all done. Now I've had dads on the East Coast and moms say, no, 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 no. I need that morning to be productive and have family time. And then I come back after lunch and start it. Fine, not for me. And the question was about the Super Bowl. Let's go. Get the Super Bowl on, start it as early as possible so I can have more time in the back end to either continue the party or recover from the party to digest the chicken wings, to mix down some waters with a beer, however I'm celebrating. I look at the football like Thanksgiving feast. You don't have Thanksgiving dinner at 7 p.m. That's crazy. It's not even dinner. You have it, people have Thanksgiving dinner at 2 p.m. 3, 3.30, 4 is even starting to push it. I think Thanksgiving is like the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is like Thanksgiving. It is one day that is about, a, the whole day is about a certain event that is just gluttonous and kind of goes on forever and you have one time a year. And I want, I don't, I'm not waiting all day. I'm not waiting until six, seven o'clock to watch the Super Bowl. I like it early. I would watch it at noon if I could. I like an early Pacific time zone start for all football, but specifically for the Super Bowl. You could have it, look, I don't want it past maybe one, maybe two, or maybe three o'clock if you're Carl Sheffers and you want it at three with the three fingers. God, I'm never gonna get over that. I'm never gonna think about anything else in my life other than how the way Carl Sheffers signals third down. Incredible, Carl Sheffers, third down, amazing. Um, that's it, great calls. Obviously, one of them haunted me for the rest of my life, but Iraq and Bob and Los Gatos, sorry about your friend who got out of control. I don't take take off time that seriously. It's not that big a deal, but we'll do say anything again soon. In the meantime, 2524 brand, you ever wanna call about anything, you don't even have to ask for it, just call. Call anytime and leave a message. I promise I listen to them all. Let's get to Brant Awareness with Michael Flynn. Flynn, you could start the segment by telling me that Patrick Mahomes has decided to retire and I would be less interested than I am in your opinion on Carl Sheffer's signaling for third down. Tell me your thoughts on that. It's pinky, middle and pointer yeah. is what he said. Yeah. Um, Three. It's insane because even just figuring out how to do it just now, it took brain power. And I can't imagine having to do that while having to make a yeah. call, say a player's number, say what the call is, make sure my microphone's on, all on live television on front of the Super Bowl audience. It's insane. And remember, this is apparently the best in the business. This is the guy who gets the gig. The NFL looks at all their crews and they're like, Give me Sheffers. That guy. Old, old <laughs> missing the ring finger. We want him doing it. That guy. And the only thing I can say is he must have been doing that his entire life. He must have started as a child and no one corrected him. Because you're right, it's so natural for him. He's got to think the penalty. He's got his little PA system. He's got to think the jersey number of the player. They down the yardage, the clock. And he's putting up the three. It's going to be electric for us here in the basement when he first does that in front of 90 million fans this Sunday. I can't wait. 100%. No brain power being used by him there at all. He's got it down pat. <laughs> um, all right. Well, you have to use all of it because there's big time stories right now. Big time week at the Super Bowl. What could you be leading your segment with, Flynn? Tell me. Let's go with uh, what took over the weekend and your entire week last week. It was all in all a remarkably successful Pro Bowl games. You started it right with the kickoff show. Peyton and Eli were the hosts we needed. Our colleagues at Omaha Productions absolutely killed it with the reinvention of the entire weekend. It was not without controversy. MVP Kirk Cousins took a knee on the final play of the game, much to the dismay of Peyton Manning. Kyle, what did you make of the games and what did you make of your guy Kirk taking a knee? Love the games. Got to see the, the palpable joy on the players. Got to stand right next to them. I, I talked about this last week in the basement or the hotel room. The players were so fun, so silly, so happy to be there. Clearly had been out all night, the night before, each and every night, which they should. But what Flynn's talking about is a legitimately interesting sports controversy. Um, and if you didn't see it, I want your thoughts. They play a flag football game. They played three, but the last one decided the entire thing. The NFC team of Kirk Cousins, a quarterback, is in the red zone. They're at the goal line. They're inside the five with the lead. And it's the last play of the game. So think about this. They're up and they, they don't need to score. They don't need to do anything. But if you know flag football at any level, certainly the level I coach youth flag football, 
there's a rule where inside the five yard line, you cannot run. You can't do any running play because it's just, there's too many bodies together and flag football is not about running into each other. So inside the five, you have to pass, have to pass. So the NFC team with the lead snaps the ball and takes a knee, victory formation. Cousins goes down to a knee, the game is over. They hand over the ball, they don't need to score because they have the lead. The AFC team freaks out. Peyton's all the way on the field screaming, that's a penalty, that's a penalty, that's a penalty, you have to pass. And he is not wrong. Taking a knee is technically a rushing attempt. And you know it's a rushing attempt because it goes into statistics as, you know, a negative three yard loss or whatever. That gets logged against your rushing yards. So Peyton's point is, you can't run inside the five and Cousins taking a knee is a run attempt that should be a penalty. So he's furious and the game should not be over. So I think it's interesting because then might meanwhile, Cousins, the quarterback who did it, is chirping back. Chirping is generous for Cousins, he doesn't really chirp, but he's like, I asked the ref, I asked the ref, he said you could do it, he said you could do it, because Cousins is very smart. He probably knows and he's like, is it okay if I take a knee? And the ref said, absolutely. <laughs> um, and Carl Sheffer said, you can take three if you want. No, and then Cousins said, I asked the ref, I checked it, and then, so now we have a legitimate thing where Peyton is not doing shtick, and he's not kidding, and he's actually mad because he really wants to win. So I think he is right. I think he is definitely right. You should not have been allowed to take a knee. It should have been a penalty. The problem when I come out is how would they have ever won the game? Even if Cousins hadn't taken a knee, and just all you have to do is take a snap and throw it into the back of the end zone. Just throw it 50 yards, or throw it at somebody's feet, and the game is over. You attempted a pass, and you still won, okay? so. I don't, even if they had called a penalty and like back to the NFC up, he still just has to throw an incomplete pass and they win the game. I don't think the AFC was winning, but I do think that Peyton was right. I love that there was an actually, like everyone's kind of joking. Everyone's a little bit in character for the whole thing because it's all about fun and Peyton and Eli are busting chops like they always do. But there was nothing in character about Peyton at the end of the game. He was back with the Colts helmet off and the red thing on his forehead, screaming at Jeff Saturday or the official, I think, completely mad, wanted to win badly, and he was right. But ultimately, I don't think it would have been had any way of affecting the game. Flynn, am I missing anything here? No, I don't think you're missing anything at all. I completely support Eli and Kirk for going for it and Kirk for checking with the official. Uh, I completely understand Peyton being pissed off about it. It was just a, you couldn't have found a more perfect end to the Pro Bowl games. I also have to say, you are beginning to do this. Well, I just did pretty good too, but without having to think about it, I think you might have some <laughs> Sheffer's blood in you. You're doing it pretty easily. I think Sheffers maybe was been right. <laughs> I, think we're doing, I think he is a, th a three-fingered truther. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll start. But isn't it just like this darkly either, just dark conclusion to the season, or hopefully not a harbinger to come, that even in the flag game we had an officiating controversy. We couldn't even get it right. And please, I hope Sheffers doesn't have any. I just, I don't want the season to end that way. But what else we got in the Brant Awareness segment? Not to be missed yesterday was the debut of a new 30 for 30. Bullies of Baltimore looked at that oh. dominant 2000s Ravens defense that won Super Bowl 35, but it was the team's quarterback, Trent Dilfer, who made some headlines. He took aim at modern day QBs, namely Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, saying, quote, it's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Brady and Rodgers. It's not impressive, end quote. Kyle, what do you make of Dilfer's thoughts? Bad timing for Dilfer because it's Super Bowl week and he always gets the butt. He's the butt of a lot of Super Bowl jokes because of the way he won his and people will say he's the worst starting quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. I don't really indulge any of that, but he's taking heat for bad timing there. And if you look at a lot of the reactions, like, well, what do you know? You rode the greatest defense ever and did nothing. I think a couple things. I think I watched the clip. I think Dilfer was trying really hard to flatter and appeal to the people in the room and he was kind of playing to the crowd of saying, the old schoolers, they had it hard. You know, they they did, they had a more difficult football was football and men were men, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't make a lot of sense because, you know, even if you believe that the rules have changed, and they definitely have, and all the hitting the quarterbacks and all the re, um, readjusting receivers routes and hitting them over, it's, it's all totally valid. But like, Brady played almost half his career under those rules. He won multiple Super Bowls under the old rules. He used to get hit. He was obliterated in his knee after his greatest season and missed the entire thing. Like, I don't know. I, I think it was a little half cock from Dilfer and he was trying to give some fire and brimstone and fire up the room. 
And I think ultimately he doesn't really believe the core of what he was saying, which is he's not impressed with Brady and Rodgers. Everybody's impressed with Brady and Rodgers. And it doesn't mean that they're better just on their, uh, on their merit than Dan Marino or Joe Montana. It's just one of those things where video is powerful. It's Super Bowl week. Everybody's looking for a take. You have a notorious character in Trent Dilfer who's had some takes before in some anti-Patriots takes. So Brady kind of catches those. And then also who is like looked at as like a punchline during Super Bowl week. I've always respected that Dilfer will just fire from the hip. I, there's not a lot of guys like that. who They get destroyed sometimes and they just keep going. So a lot of confluence of factors, but it didn't make a ton of sense. And I don't agree with it. Lynn, am I missing something? I keep asking that question. I feel like I'm missing things today. No, you're right on target today. I agree with you that he's trying to appeal to a very Baltimore crowd. He's also sitting there yeah. with a, with his defensive teammates and trying to look like a good teammate and a cool uh, guy. And let's face it, he's Trent Dilfer there the Baltimore Ravens, so he's doing what he can to fit in there. And uh, yeah, just bad timing on his part. It really was. I, I, I haven't watched the 30 for 30 yet, but I remember this, I always remember this thing. When Dilfer was gone and they brought in Kyle Bowler, and Kyle Bowler was just not the right guy, and he was very talented, but like, oh my God. You knew right away it was a mistake, and he was never gonna be able to hang with those guys on defense. There was this great quote of Ray Lewis, where he was in the middle of it, uh, of that, Kyle Bowler era and the Ravens defense is still the number one in the, in the world. And he sat down with ESPN or somebody and he said, I say to, to, to Bowler, I say to him, I say, just get us 10 points and don't give them any points and we will win every game. Just Can you get us 10 and don't throw a pick six and don't fumble and let them score. That's on you. 10 points, no points given to them and we will win. And I was like, I wonder if Bowler was fired up by that or if he was just completely emasculated. Can you get us 10, son? Because that's all we need. We'll win, we'll win 10 to 7. <laughs> we'll win 10 to 6. We can't shut everybody out. We need you to get us 10 points and we'll win. That's the heart of that. I can't wait to watch that. I love those Ravens defense. And it's kind of always them, the Bears defense, and then that the Super Bowl winning Buccaneers defense that are thrown into a lot of the same conversations about, is this the best ever? So, I don't know. We'll see. What else we got, Flynn? That Super Bowl winning Bucks defense was my Madden team growing up. Finally, Ooh, uh, one of the most questioned endings in movie history is being answered. Could Jack have survived with Rose on the floating door, piece of wood, yeah. what have you, at the end of Titanic? To celebrate the movie's 25th anniversary, James Cameron teamed up with National Geographic, taking two stunt people to carry out a series of tests to see if there was any way Jack could have survived. The poor stunt people in that final test, they made sure they were as exhausted and as freezing as possible and found a, and found, you have to look at the video, and found a way where with right. Rose on the door and Jack wearing Rose's life jacket on his upper body with his lower body only partly in the water, Jack, quote, might have survived, end quote. Kyle, your thoughts? I have a lot. First of all, I mean, it's, this, it's such an eye roller, this, this whole debate. And if you've ever, here's a clip to watch. In the last five years at some point, DiCaprio was doing some sort of junket in which everybody comes in and asks some questions about whatever he was working on. And this guy, I don't know his name or who he works for, bless his heart, sat down with DiCaprio and was like, all right, gotta ask, biggest controversy on the internet, could Jack have fit on the door? And like, he did not finish the sentence. And Leo's like, oh my God, man. Oh man, like he, he doesn't really answer it, but he is just so pissed and wants no part of it and it's so completely over it. Um, I've, I, I mean, I remember thinking about it after I watched the movie in 1997. Here's the deal. Of course he could have fit on there. Of course it could have worked. Jack was a slender, thin guy. I, I don't think there was much of a weight difference between him and Rose. Rose was a, a full-bodied woman and, and DiCaprio back then, very, very thin. Uh, I think more of the problem, A, was they were completely delirious and in shock and incapable of basic motor function because of how cold they were. I think they tried once, they fall off, and they don't try again because they're slowly moving deep into shock and they can't move their limbs. And the other part of it is, I think Jack wanted to die. I, I think he's like, I'm out. This has just been the greatest night of my life. I sit uh, under bridges in France and I, I sketch drawings of of uh, disabled prostitutes 
I just met this crazy rich girl and we made out and we did it in a car and I got to eat with rich people and wear a tuxedo and smoke cigars. I think I'm out. This is this seems like a beautiful death to me. I didn't even think I'd be this old. I thought I was gonna die before now. Do I really wanna go to America? I don't have any money. I know this girl's not gonna be with me for the long haul. There's gonna be all sorts of crazy things over there. They're gonna treat me like crap. Even though I am an American, I just, I don't know, I wanna go back. I think I'm just gonna peace out right now. I'm gonna hold your hand, I'm gonna freeze to death with my one handcuff on, and then I'm out of here. I, I think they could've. I don't think Jack wanted to. Uh, and I think Rose was, well, there's another conversation we had about Rose, but I think she was so cold, she's just like, I'm gonna just pass out right here. So I do think he could've. DiCaprio doesn't wanna talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. Um, and I think Jack wanted to die. Flynn, your thoughts. The Cameron had a quote that the thought process behind Jack was if there was even the tiniest bit of a risk that Rose wouldn't survive, that Jack was going to be in that water. And that's why he ended up being in that water uh, with the exhaustion that you brought up james cameron actually prepared for that and if you look at this video they had a clip on good morning america they had a third person third stunt person in this little pool area with them who is literally pulling them into the water and fighting them because if you remember right before rose gets up there there's another guy who's trying to get up there and jack punches him yeah. a couple of times oh, they yeah. sim they yeah. simulated the punching the guy when he finally gets on the raft is literally shaking um i don't know why this was necessary but it happened we talked about it on our show and now we can put it to bed i don't even know if we can i think it'll be back and i remember like jack is the corniest character in what the, the, his explanation about if there was even a chance rose wouldn't make it i remember hearing an anecdote from dicaprio during the shooting and he went to cameron and it was like dude can you we can we do can you give me some demons can you give me some sort of weird dark side like i'm dicaprio i'm acting like can you give me a backstory? And, and Cameron's like, nope, you are just the nicest person in the world. You have a heart of gold. And it's like, it's the worst character. We all know the writing in Titanic is awful. And if you rewatch Titanic now, the second half is fantastic. The first half is so stupid and so terrible. But DiCaprio's like, please, this character is awful. Can you just give me a little one scene where I get mad or anything? And Cameron's like, no. You will save her, and that is it. Now go on your mark and say your lines. It's it's insane, Flynn. Yep, and you're right. All you need to watch of that movie is the last hour, hour and a half. Leo or Jack has no downside about him. He's across from Billy Zane, who is the most horrible character with no upside whatsoever. Uh, it's 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 just not the best written movie. More of a thing you oh, have my, to see. Something Picasso. His his work won't amount to anything. I tell you, it won't. It's it's so bad. It's unbelievable. But um, we talked about it for 16 minutes here. All right, Flynn, we got to go. I'm going to throw a dart. Great job today. We'll see you tomorrow in the basement. Let's go to Skycam. I love Billy Zane, too. He cracks me up in that movie. It's just such a ridiculous character. I think Flynn's right. He took all the bad, and DiCaprio had all the good. And that's really not the way you write characters. All right, whatever number I get, there's a corresponding rant. And I got a 14, triple 14, but we don't do the triples here. 14 topic is, can you play a musical instrument? Sort of, yeah. My children are starting to take musical lessons now, so um, sometimes I'll just jump in there and rock and roll with them a little bit. I took like six years of piano lessons as a kid and I detested every waking second of those six years. Every practice, every rehearsal, every time my mom would make me practice six years. I can generally read music. I can play Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue, and I can play only the right hand of Don't Stop Believing by Journey. It's a pretty pathetic net gain after six years of piano lessons. So I can do that. can't play any guitar. I'm very, very jealous of people who can play instruments. Jealous of people who can speak languages and play instruments, because I don't really, I speak basic Spanish and I play very, very, very basic piano. So when you sit down at some, you know, campfire or some outdoor party and some jackass gets his guitar and starts playing Wonderwall, we're like, oh God, I'm so jealous of you. I hate you, but like, you're so cool. So that's it, basic piano. I'm on my way, I'm on my way home, sweet. I can play that. And then a little bit of journey. And sometimes that's all you need. Guys, it's been a great adventure with us today. Um, uh, we will be back tomorrow.
Number 17 for the Buffalo Bills. We saw him at Pebble Beach. I heard he played well, did not win. Rodgers won, actually. But we'd love to catch up with Josh, see his new life, most likely in California. He was not at the Pro Bowl, as we know. Him, Sky, the whole crew. We will find him eventually. It takes us one day, two days, or even uh, three days. You know how we do it here in the basement. That's how we do three. Guys, that's it. Please leave through the garage. Close the door on your way out. Love you. See you. Take care. Talk tomorrow.